Swivel. In mid-October 2021, the same scenes were playing out at schools across New South Wales and Victoria. Our youngest and eldest students began returning after many weeks of remote learning in the latest lockdowns triggered by the Delta variant of COVID-19. Across social media accounts from schools and teachers, you could see scenes of celebration as students were welcomed back. School entrances decorated with balloons, teachers and staff in crazy costumes, handmade welcome back signs, care packs, each setting slightly different, but all designed with the goal of making students feel welcome and reassured as they come back to the classroom. Behind the smiles and the balloons, teachers, leaders and school staff have put in countless hours managing remote learning arrangements and return to school plans dictated by roadmaps with ever-changing destinations. From Swivel Media, I'm Amanda Reedy and this is Resolve, stories from a stop-start nation. For this episode, our executive producer, Scotty Allen, led a panel of educators from New South Wales and Victoria in a discussion about their experience. We'll let our panel members introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Beck West. I'm a Deputy Principal Instructional Leader in the New South Wales Public School System. I'm in a wonderful school in South West Sydney. Hi, I'm Lauren Sayer and I'm Executive Director Research and Innovation at Melbourne Girls Grammar. I'm Stephen Kolb. I'm currently a learning specialist of pedagogy and a teacher at Brunswick Secondary College in Melbourne, Australia. So let's set the scene here for people listening who may not have the context. By the start of October 2021, your two states had set some pretty dubious records. New South Wales was 100 plus days into uh, its longest lockdown. Melbourne has become now the most lockdown city in the world. Go us. And throughout all of that, schools have been on the end of a yo-yo, being thrown back and forth in and out of remote learning. So to try and choose one thing that's been the most challenging, I'm sure, is difficult. But I'm going to ask you, what has been the most challenging thing for you and your experience throughout this time? And Lauren, let's start with you. I think the uncertainty has been the biggest challenge that schools have faced of getting our information via different sources and getting guidelines really late and actually Are we going to be back at school? Are we going to be at home? And I suppose that elastic nature has been the biggest challenge for us is that lack of stability to really be able to plan quality teaching and learning experiences. And Beck, what would you add to that? For us, it's been getting our families engaged online. I work in a very low socioeconomic area where we have families who It's hard to believe, but don't even have internet on their phones. Yes, we know those phones have the capabilities, but that requires a certain income to which you can access the internet and obviously the skill sets to do that. We have families where English is not their first language and that creates a huge barrier. So even when we're on the phone and we have translators and we're going through layers of communication to support these families, just to get a text message with a photo of work is very complex and it's not like it's one family out of the entire school. It is a significant proportion of the school and that just adds so much complexity to our job. 
Let's unpack that in a moment, because that is a challenge that is not very evident in some of the reporting. Stephen, what about you from your perspective? What's been the most challenging thing about this whole experience? I'd say the most challenging thing is just as it's dragged on. Um, the first what the first four lockdowns, I was like, yeah, this is a bit novel. The kids were like, yeah, teachers are learning new stuff. We're learning how to learn in new ways and we're on new platforms. This is all good fun. And then five, six, seven, it's keeping students emotionally connected has been the trickiest part. So just keeping keeping the passion and the engagement from students has been the hardest part as the days have dragged on. Three diverse answers, but all key things. And I think that just shows how complex it is. How would you describe the morale of the teaching profession right now? If you think about the people that you work with, the people that you are connected to, where are they at this point? Beck, let's go to you. For us, because it it hasn't been the same as Melbourne, where it's been in and out and in and out. We kind of had our big lockdown last year, came out of it with some restrictions, and then we went heavy into it again. So we went into it thinking, okay, it's going to be four days. That's what we were originally told. It would be four days. 14 weeks later, going into our 15th week, we're still doing it. So it is a bit of a roller coaster where we go in thinking, yep, we can handle this. Not a problem. We did it before. We can do it again. But then new restrictions and added complexities and the Delta variant going through children has made that different. So then all of a sudden morale would go low and myself included and even my own family included, my husband and my children who are all here at home doing remote learning, we would have days where we were just flat and not know why. And we know now that there are psychologists and therapists coming out going, uh, telling us that lockdown fatigue is a real thing. We were feeling it at home. Teachers were feeling it everywhere, not just the teachers within my school setting. You see this on social media, all teachers saying that they hit a wall they don't know when we're coming out of this. They they don't know how to get past those barriers. And you can only imagine how uh, hollow that can feel for some people to think, I don't know when I'm coming out of this. I don't know when my kids are coming out of this or our families are coming out of this. So it's just in and out and up and down with sort of a big vagueness to it. So as Beck said, the arc, as it were, of the journey has been different for Victoria. So Stephen, for you, the people around you, where do you see the profession is right now and how people are feeling? You know, obviously my perspective is a little bit biased. I'm heavily involved in the union. And so I I probably am exposed a little bit more to the uh, more negative side than most. Uh, And so I would say teachers are pretty crushed, honestly. We're currently in negotiations in the government system for a new agreement. And if that doesn't doesn't come through in the way that we're hoping, uh, I would imagine a whole bunch of teachers will be packing their bags, uh, write, rewriting their CVs and looking for other options, to be honest. Mm. Lauren? I think the general morale of, of teachers and school staff is exhaustion. I, I think of it similar to if you've ever watched one of those marathons where you see people break down at the 27th K and they just can't keep going, but they love what they're doing. Like they're in it for the marathon and they know that there are people cheering them on, but they're just exhausted. I think teachers are really good at putting up a brave face and they're there and they're doing it because they've got that room of kids waiting for them at, at all times. But I I suppose the morale of teachers and school staff that, that worries me more is when you're off that class, how are you? And I think that people's experiences are very different. My experience is different to someone who's got three or four kids at home and is trying to teach with their children at home. But then 
Alternatively, teachers who don't live with anyone have had a very different experience as well. They're, they're in this performative aspect and then they go back to having no one to debrief. And teaching is a social learning profession. We, we get into it because we like to, to work with others. And I think when they're taken away, you, you, you're sort of taken away that connection and the support network. And when the exhaustion steps in, the morale just drops, but we know we have to keep going. Most of the media coverage around education has focused on remote learning and the experience of parents and people working and managing kids as well. What do you feel is something that people who aren't teachers don't necessarily understand about what the experience has been like? Beck, what about from your perspective? I think there's been a severe underestimation about the additional workload that has come with it. They've just figured, oh, well, they've, they've, chucked stuff on Google Classroom or sent booklets home if they can't access online learning and they'll do a Zoom a day because we're primary school, so we're not online Zooming all day long. We've got some requirements around how many hours we're meant to be allocating of work. If anything, it's just added so much to the workload. There's a lot more documentation now. If we're calling families to offer that support and help help them work through that work at home, that could be a half an hour phone call to one parent. And you could have between 20 and 30 parents and families that you need to call. You'll have lots of parents who or children are asking for support and questions throughout the day and and that will take up all of that time. And I know that there's been some commentary, whether it's media or social media around, oh, well, let's just catch up on lots of professional learning. (laughs) No, (laughs) there's less time for that at the moment. And you'll find that a lot of our, our teachers, yes, who are caring for people at home, not just their own children. We have teachers who are caring for elderly parents as well, who are going through whatever they're going through at this difficult time. And they could have uh, physical, mental health um, that that teacher is, is catering for during the day. And you'll find there are teachers staying up to midnight to get some of that mm-hmm. workload done, that documentation, the programming, whatever it is that they need to do. That workload has become extremely harder I think, and that has definitely not been part of the conversation or the presentation of what we're doing. We're just saying, yep, jump online and do some learning. Not that simple. Mm. Lauren, what about from your perspective? I, I work in a different area than both Beck and Stephen. I work at an independent school. Our girls are incredibly well-resourced and I have digital learning coaches that can sit with teachers one-on-one and teach them how to do these things. And I think that that has been something that's been wonderful, but it's something that not every school has had. And I think that everyone seems to have this opinion that a school is a school is a school. But, (laughs) you know, I have daily drop-in sessions for support for my staff, whether that be mental, social wellbeing or digital and how to use things. If they want a piece of software, I can organize and facilitate that. If they want a quick, if they want me to drop into their class, I have staff that are not teaching that can team teach with them to learn digital skills. And I think the assumption that's been there around workload is that teachers can pick up digital skills very quickly. I've worked in a digital coaching space for a decade of my career and we're only just starting to do pretty well in my context and my context is highly privileged and so that the haves and the have-nots in this space the equity gap is 
really, really big. And I think the experiences of each of the schools needs to be taken into account. But the media have sort of done this either broad brush, amazing story or broad brush, what are they doing? Are they just sitting at home resting? Where the resourcing behind both of those pitches is an incredibly complicated equation. Mm. Yeah, I'm waiting for the the media to suddenly come out and go, hey, guys, did you know that technology is not something everyone can access in Australia? You know, where's the story behind that? I wanted to ask, what sort of notice back did you get when you first had to do remote learning? How much time did you have to prepare? So for for this particular uh, lockdown, luckily we went into lockdown the what was I shouldn't say luckily we went into lockdown the first day of the school holidays. So there was two weeks there that the department had uh, time to to prepare materials, resources, nut everything out, and obviously at that point it was almost like a week to week fortnight to fortnight process where they couldn't make a decision until New South Wales Health or the government had made a decision. So there were nights where you would hear things on the news pretty much as it was happening. And then all of a sudden an email would come out. I will give them credit though. They've done much better this lockdown than what they did last lockdown. Last lockdown was very much chasing our tails. There have been times where it's come out through the media first though. I was about to say, Victorians, Lauren, have there been points where you have found out about what's happening through the media? I, I found every one of the points via the media first before and A great example is there was the press conference about the roadmap back to school. That was two weeks ago. The operations guide for how schools would um, do that came out as in two days ago, three days days ago. ago. Before school started. Yeah, so the media had all of that time, but we were, and then parents were starting to ask us questions of, oh, I've heard that teachers are mandated to get vaccinated. How are you going to do this? And we're all going, we're waiting for the operations guide to help us with this. And Stephen, what has it been like in the department? Have you had more notice or have you found out through the media as well? No, same thing. We're all in our little leadership chat, like taking screenshots of, oh, someone said this on Twitter. And, you know, it's a picture that some reporters taken on their phone with a shadow in the background. And you're like, I think this is what they're going to announce. And then you have to hang around for an hour and a half to hear the announcement at the end of announcement where a reporter says, oh, what about schools or teachers? And the kind of the person at the front goes, oh, yeah, we didn't mention them, but I I guess like it would be like this. And we're sort of going, okay, okay, okay. Are we we packing the bag for school tomorrow? We, uh, and I mean, I think us teachers, we're very rule bound, habit formed people. So to just be tomorrow, here's what's happening is like, you know. (laughs) I'd rather have my sandwiches cut a week in advance to save time than turn up the night before (laughs) and play it off the cuff. (laughs) Do you find, Stephen, that um, in those um, press conferences where you're saying, yes, someone might say, hey, what about teachers? Has the conversation actually been about teachers? Because what I've noticed personally in the feedback that I've had from other teachers, so it's not just my mind playing games on me, the conversation seems to be schools, students, families. Very rarely has the word teachers actually been mentioned in this. And I think that's where teachers feel really flat about that conversation. Yes, we absolutely, students are the most important thing. We want to take care of our students, our families, our community. But considering teachers are a vital component of that, I feel like that would have been good to have been part of that conversation. Have you found the same thing in in terms of those press releases and what you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've become skilled at reading between the lines. I mean, you talk to any disability educator, any early childhood educator, they'll say, we never shut. We don't even watch the announcements. We've just gone straight through. No one's even mentioned us. 
it's always like, well, VCE needs to go back and all the VCAL teachers are going, well, there are two streams. There's VCE, there's VCAL, you know, there's the trade and there's the academic. Mm. But, you know, VCAL never gets mentioned. It's always someone sort of raising a hand in a staff meeting going, what about VCAL? It's like, oh, I guess they're going back. I don't know. No one's mentioned them. Um, Disability's never been mentioned etc etc like there's all these sort of fringe cases that aren't even mentioned let alone teachers Mm. themselves so yeah one of the things that i have seen as a former educator and school leader is education already does so much reinvention of the wheel site by site because you're confronted with things and you've got to set your own policy so you don't necessarily have time to look at what other people are doing and one thing that people probably wouldn't appreciate is just the amount of operational pieces for every site that have had to be worked out every time things change, pick up and drop off procedures, supervision of students who've remained on site. And remembering as well here, we're talking about teachers. There are a lot of other people that work in schools as well who don't wear the teacher badge, but play really essential roles. So what's been that kind of experience in dealing with managing the staff that are, are still on site, managing staff remotely and their, their workloads and challenges throughout this time? I work at a school that has never closed in this period because we've got boarding and that's been a, a unique experience because some of our girls haven't seen their families and when they're used to going home and then there's others who have gone home but now can't necessarily get back because they might be in New South Wales. And I think that the the management of a school that never closes has been quite interesting. Our school never closes, so there are always people on site. But I think the the other bit that's been really hard is we're being asked to enforce rules that, if I talk about the supervision program, we're only allowed to have authorised workers on site and there's a list of those. And we've got some parents that say, oh, well, no, but you can just let me bring my child. It doesn't matter about the government guidelines, but we've got, we need to follow the rules. We're a school and it puts, all of a sudden we're in this um, area of sort of inertia of being, uh, having to ask parents for proof of employment and those sorts of things and the boundaries of what we have to ask to enforce what we're doing is and it means that people who didn't used to have those conversations suddenly do and I don't think anyone's there's been sort of no training of well how do you have that discussion and it's interesting in early childhood at the moment our kinder are in a position where they need to ask for proof of vaccination for one week and we've been sitting in leadership going, how do we do that? How do we collect parent vaccination? We're having enough trouble collecting school and <laughs> staff vaccination. And these are sorts of things where you get the government guidelines and you're sort of left with, oh, well. So let's think about the return that is starting to happen There's a number of challenges that you've already mentioned that schools are going to have to work out how to deal with. And we've seen uh, recently in Victoria, the first legal case mounted by a casual teacher and a school groundsman to try and stop or get an injunction against the mandatory vaccination guidelines. Then there's the ventilation issues, the questions around concerns from staff and from parents. How is all of this actually going to work moving forward at your school? I've heard one person say that it should be up to teacher's choice. And even in, in the forum where that took place, everyone else in the room just said, 
Yeah, no, no one's going to agree to that. So from my perspective as a unionist and as a teacher, I, I can't imagine anyone that I know in my various broad network of teachers that would have an issue with it. It's quite quite the opposite, in fact. Like I was on the TV saying, hey, maybe teachers should get vaccinated. Um, and now the, the backflip to say you have to get vaccinated is quite typical, really, of the way sort of things work, where it's like, well, we've been saying this for months. Like we've been out everywhere complaining. Our union's been heavily in support of get we need teachers as priority vaccination recipients and now they're like and but you must if you want to come back to school and it's like well yeah we would have months ago if you would have let us like we asked so you know we're seeing in other industries record numbers of people leaving jobs looking for new things and you're hearing about the great resignation in the u.s and some say that's going to come to australia we're seeing people in other industries demanding a better work-life balance. They don't want to return to the office full-time. Obviously, in education, there are some things inherent to the nature of supervision that mean that there's not that same flexibility. But how do you see the experience that people have had now and how that's going to impact their expectations around their jobs and what teaching is moving forward? Teaching basically is um, overwhelmingly a feminine profession, a female profession. But as soon as anyone has children, you realize that it's probably one of the least flexible jobs that you can have. So, you, you know, the bell goes. And if you're not there or you're breastfeeding or doing any other number of things that you could be doing, dropping off kids, picking up kids, doing anything like that, it's completely in, unsuitable to that. So there were hopes, at least early in the piece for us in Victoria, that it might bring some flexibility to the work that we're doing because we proved you can deliver a lesson remotely. So maybe that's something that we could look at. You could do a whole range of different things around caring and a whole range of other possibilities. It's not looking like that will be a thing going forward unless, um, I mean, Lauren's probably got some some ideas of how things might work of off-site teachers and international teachers and all those sort of things for, for us in our system. Beck, what about you? I think when we go back, teachers will easily slip back into their routines, but that's also a disappointment for me. (laughs) I would love for a lot of these new strategies to be put to practice and going off last year's lockdown when we just came back and went back to the status quo, all of that great ideas around flipped learning or blended learning, they kind of just fell aside for a lot of teachers. So going back into the classroom, I would really love to see teachers just go, Okay, this whole situation was not ideal, but that little thing that we did to the side there could be really effective and I'd like to keep doing that. And one example is we ran a parent Zoom for our preschool orientation and our kindergarten orientation because that was the only thing that we could do. We had a high level of engagement on there and it made us think about our parents and our families with those language barriers, with those uh, personal poor school experiences that don't come on site because of those barriers came onto a Zoom. Maybe we should be doing that more often in the future and offering both alternatives to allow for all of our parents to join in a safe environment where they can turn their camera off if they want to and still partake in the process and get some learning ask a question in the chat if they want to, because that's a safer way for them to do it. They could sit there with Google Translate if they want to, if they're not getting all of that language that's in there. And now I think it's Zoom or it's an app you put into Zoom can even translate into other languages as well. So we've had a session like that where we translated into Vietnamese for our parents. That's the kind of thing I'd love to see. So Lauren, as we have discussed, your context is a bit different. Do you see any more flexibility in the independent sector in terms of all of this? Yes, already we have. I think the thing that Stephen alluded to is at my previous school last year, 
they hired a Latin teacher because Latin teachers are quite hard to find. It's not the most popular language out there. But the Latin teacher that teaches at this school lives in Seattle and teaches large groups of students in Melbourne. And I think what you will see in, and I've seen it in multi-campus schools, is the advent of a hybrid online face-to-face learning experience for these students where they can do things, maybe not full-time, but definitely as a, as a subject. I think I'm starting to see those opportunities, but maybe due to resourcing, we're seeing them a little bit faster, but I think they're definitely on the horizon. Mm. Okay, last couple of questions as we wrap this up. Beck, let me ask you first, what is your main concern, something that you're personally worried or concerned about as we head back to school? I think it would be silly of me not to acknowledge the risk of someone getting very sick. That's our biggest health concern when we're going back to school. Uh, We know that even if you're vaccinated, you can catch it, you can pass it on. We know that that is a a genuine risk. I don't want to to sugarcoat that. So we want to make sure that when we go back, we're doing everything we possibly can to keep our kids and our staff safe. And like you said, all of our staff, we've got office staff, canteens, our general assistants, cleaners, even on staff as well. And we have special COVID cleaners in there as well that are putting themselves at risk in terms of that cleaning process as well. So all other risks aside, like gaps in learning and things like that, that that kind of sits just underneath our students' health and safety. Mm -hmm. And Stephen, what about you? I'm most concerned about students that just won't return, to be honest. Like there's the research often talks about the lost generation, the lost, like there's 20,000, 200,000, I can't remember the stats in front of me, but there's a whole bunch of students that just don't attend school, never have, never will, or have dropped out and never fallen, never gotten back into it. As Beck said, if there are students that are behind and there is a large number of students who are behind by standard metrics of VCE and SACs and whatever acronyms you use in your setting, but the real shame would be if students don't actually return. They realise this this school thing hasn't been for me. I've opted out at some stage along the path. And, and they won't re- return to school. So we can work with anyone else, anyone who will return, but those that won't return are sort of the ones that I'm most concerned about. And Lauren? I think I'm sitting with Beck around those health and safety aspects and of our staff, but also of our students. Like schools are not strong controlled environments. It's not like a hospital where, like I, I taught in a hospital for five years and I knew to wash my hands walking in and gown and glove up and I I could teach behind a mask and do all of those things, but it was incredibly controlled in a one-on-one space. Schools are not like this. So how it's keeping people as safe as possible because I I, I don't want any student, no one should go home from their work or their school unwell and I think that's that's a core rule and the risk of that has suddenly got a lot higher than them before and I think that that's a concern especially with children where we might not know if they even have an underlying health condition yet and so how do we protect the people who parents entrust us with every day and making sure that they're safe and that we're safe. So let's end on a positive Lauren I'll stick with you what are you most looking forward to? I'm looking forward to being back doing the job I love and being back with students and being back with staff. I didn't get into this role to sit behind a screen. I get in this role to be with people and to be with kids every day. So I'm looking forward 
to being back with my community, to be honest. They're, they're my tribe and I love where I work. So that's, that's what I'm looking forward to. Stephen, what about you? Yeah, same, same. I've been teaching some pre-service teachers of late. They've never known face-to-face teaching. They sort of signed up for one thing and got another thing. And I I can say as an 11-year veteran teacher who's been doing it for long enough, you know, oh, this is just a bit, you know, a blip, a little bump in the road. But for if you you started studying teaching two years ago, you've never never been in front of a class. You've done some Zooming, you've done some Teamsing, some Googling. So as Lauren said, just to get back to continue our calling in, in its natural habitat, let's say, is something pretty exciting, I think. And back for you. Uh, two things. One thing is obviously the kids. I'm like, I feel um, a real energy drain after Zooms, after seeing the kids, because I just get so excited to hear them laughing and see them. I'm looking forward to seeing them smile because you, you've seen them get deflated over this time as well, too, on their Zooms and feel a bit lethargic and tired and over it. But we, we have a school farm and we had a baby alpaca get born from one of our alpacas while we've been in lockdown. The kids haven't seen him in person yet, so I can't wait to see their faces when they see him sprinting around the school. <laughs> <laughs> what a fantastic note to end on. Look, Beck, um, Lauren, Stephen, thank you so much for your time. A hugely valuable conversation. Thank you so much for everything that you are doing. You guys are amazing and we really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. Since we spoke to our panel, the roadmaps for the stage return of students to school have been redrawn repeatedly in both New South Wales and Victoria. The most abrupt of these changes came when New South Wales Premier Dominic Paratay announced a scrapping of the stage return altogether in favour of all students returning in quick succession, forcing school leaders and teachers to once again rethink their planning. We spoke with Amber Flom, the Senior Vice President of the New South Wales Teachers Federation, about the impact of this and other changes on the teaching profession. Federation's position has always been that our members should follow the health advice. We are teachers, we are experts in education, and we trust that our colleagues uh, and those who guide us by health are experts in those areas. That, of course, has been why the return to school roadmap has been very difficult because it appeared we had received very clear health advice about the staggered return and bringing cohorts back slowly over a period of time for those health reasons. It was very difficult for the profession and the union to reconcile the very quick return because it did not appear to be consistent with health advice. Our members have expressed time and time again the disrespect that they have felt by the way in which the government has treated That is, that they find out through the nightly news when the students will be returning, when they will be returning, uh, and the nature of their work for a profession that is so highly valued, we believe, and and rightly so, uh, that respect has not been forthcoming as it should. What's been lost, of course, is that teachers are also members of the community. And so the very anxiety, concern for their own family, uh, of course, 70% female uh, profession, their own children, That's been lost as though schools are just places where children go. And of course they are. 
but they're also places where teachers and principals work. They also have juggled with extraordinary difficulty, like all parents, working from home, teaching their students, but also supervising the remote learning of their own children. So I think for teachers, um, it's been a very, very difficult time. Along with nurses, retail workers and other frontline staff, teachers have been referred to as heroes during the pandemic. But you could argue that we call people heroes when we are asking too much for too little in return. Teachers know that everything they do is about and for their students. And because of their commitment to them, they'll keep turning up, teaching, smiling and giving. But at what cost? A recent campaign on Twitter with the hashtag MoreThanThanks was started to raise awareness of the gap between the ever-increasing demands placed on our teachers and their working conditions. Whether the challenges faced by our schools during the pandemic will act as a catalyst for change remains to be seen. But one thing is clear, our teachers deserve our thanks and much more. Resolve is a production of Swivel Media. It's produced by me, Amanda Reedy, Phoebe Sikowski-Wallace, and our executive producer, Scotty Allen. Research and fact-checking is by Lauren Fitzgerald. Original music and sound design is by Ash Deneve, and our show artwork is by Mark Osmendi. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and leave a positive rating and review to help others find our show. Visit swivelmedia.com, that's swivel with an O, for details on all of our shows and find us on social media for updates and new releases. Swivel. 